this Thank is fantastic. You. What a great opportunity and an in ingenious <laughs> idea. Yeah. Ingenious. Thank you. Thank you. And we he didn't try. say the D word. I know. I have I'm one so disappointment. I have one disappointment no, because when pe if people say the D word, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. then they have to buy us a glass of wine. And Stan, you're a disappointment. You never yes. said the yeah, D exactly. word. I was told not to say the word, <laughs> and I did my best to heed your advice. It was very easy. Excellent. Well done. Excellent. Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hello, this is Dr. Yola Kirpenstein and... And it's Dr. Susan Little. Yeah, this is part two of this amazing podcast that we have with Dr. Stan Marks. And I'm so excited that we're here again with him. Uh, last of two weeks ago, he did this awesome talk and now he's back with us. So, yay! Hey, Stan, how are Hi you? Hi, guys. Thanks for being here, Stan. You look amazing. In fact... Yola, you look like you're wearing the same suit that I saw last time, uh, two weeks ago. It's an illusion, uh, my friend. It's an yeah. optical illusion. Yeah. It's, an optical it's lovely being traveling. back. It's lovely yeah. being back again. Yeah. Thank you for having so, me. Yeah, so uh, thank you for being here, and, uh, and let's uh, get on with the podcast. Of course, thank you. So we, we've been talking about this in the context of common uh, feline chronic enteropathies. A lot mm. of those would fall under the IBD umbrella. Yes. Right? Yeah. So let's just switch gears for a minute, because yeah. the other common yeah. enteropathy in cats is lymphoma. Yes, indeed. So I, I'm assuming there's, or maybe I shouldn't assume, is there any role for manipulating the microbiome in lymphoma treatment? Because we tend to focus on, on drug therapy. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Right? It's a really good question. Um, you know, at the moment, we are trying to modulate the microbiome in patients with chronic enteropathy associated with a lymphocytic plasmacytic infiltrate. And at least in the cat, there appears to be emerging mm -hmm. and increasing evidence mm -hmm. that this inflammatory mm -hmm. milieu is often a... It's like a continuum maybe, right? Precisely. Yeah. It is a continuum. Mm. I think that's a good way of putting it. Mm. And and I'm not aware of, of at least any results yet. Now, there are people looking at this. There are people looking at it, and I can't give too much detail at this mm. juncture, but there may well be benefit to modulate the microbiome in an effort to see whether that can impact mm. the severity of the lymphoma, or more importantly, or equally importantly, could I reduce the dose of, of my toxic mm. drugs, prednisolone and or clarambucil, when I juxtapose it with a, mm. a transplant? And I mm. think the answer is Possibly, I yes. Think it's a maybe. For sure. I think this is but hugely intriguing, isn't it? It is. A, it's very, very intriguing. But what I'll say, though, Susan, as well, is that, at least in our practice at UC Davis, I would say that the prevalence of small cell yeah. intestinal lymphoma, which is essentially the bread and butter yeah. of intestinal lymphoma in most of our feline patients, has surpassed that of inflammatory bowel disease. Yeah. It really, really has. And, mm -hmm. I, and again, is it a reflection of me mm. seeing those patients in a biased environment mm. where they've already been diagnosed or managed for their 
inflammatory bowel disease in the real world, and then they come to me because they now have recurrent diarrhea, mm -hmm. which did not respond to dietary manipulation or to prednisolone. Mm -hmm. It's possible, mm -hmm. but we're also seeing some primary cases coming in that actually have small cell lymphoma from yeah. the get-go. And I think what I should really stress at this juncture too is that I don't want people to think that this is a it's it's a black and white phenomenon, meaning it's either yeah. IBD or it's either sure. lymphoma. Because Good if you point. took a cat to surgery or even to necropsy and you obtained multiple full thickness biopsies along the length of the intestinal tract, beginning at the proximal duodenum, all the way down to the distal ileum, you could find an impressive number of cats that have histopathologic features of IBD, not far away from yep. regions of bowel that actually have yep. confirmation of lymphoma. Yep. Yep. And we see that not uncommonly. Yep. So I am happy that you're talking about surgery. He was asleep. I saw him he was drooling a little bit because he was like and I just mentioned the word surgery and he almost luxated his neck as he woke up. There's always a lot of discussion and this is for surgeons once again. Yeah yeah and when you do an exploratory surgery, if you do it and you have to take biopsies from the GI tract. Yes. How many should we take and where should we take them? Wow, great question. Yep. Well, I'm going to answer that question, but I'm also hoping that we can have a very, very important conversation that's going to be focusing on full thickness versus partial thickness biopsy. Yeah. Is there a role or a place for endoscopically procured tissue samples from these animals? And is that inferior to full thickness biopsies that we Good. might obtain Let's versus surgery? Where, where should we go first? Oh, you tell let's, me. Let's, let's make gonna, Yola happy and we'll talk let's, about Let's start we'll with talk about where surgical and biopsy. then yeah. why you prefer partial versus full. Uh, or might not. Or might or not. not. Okay. Or not. Oh, there's, there's an obvious advantage of <coughs> doing partial through endoscopy. Yeah. It's minimal yeah. invasive. So, right. Uh, although we have now some minimal invasive surgical of techniques that we can use. Yeah. Of course. But that is the... Yes. But so, here you let's go. Let's start with, yeah, if we're going to do full so, thickness. Here's the key point. I mean, one has to recognize that chronic enteropathies in the cat are often patchy or segmental in their distribution mm -hmm. from a histopathologic standpoint. Mm -hmm. And as a surgeon, when one goes in, if you can recognize the fact that this disease can be patchy or segmental and that you as a surgeon may not be able to recognize mm -hmm. on gross inspection what is abnormal versus what is normal, you now begin to appreciate the fact that if you were to procure a single full thickness biopsy from the duodenum and a single full thickness biopsy from the jejunum, that you are doing that patient and that owner a gross disservice, mm. unequivocally. Mm -hmm. The conundrum, though, is that you are talking to surgeons and you're saying to them, and this is at the university, hey, so-and-so, I want you to collect two to three full thickness duodenal biopsies from different segments of duodenum. I want you to collect two to three jejunal biopsies from the jejunum, and I want you to collect one to two ileal biopsies, and while you're at it, please get me a chunk of mesenteric lymph node. Now, if I were to be on video right now, I could emulate some of the facial expressions <laughs> that these surgeons 
provide. <laughs> Don't generalize. <laughs> no, no, no. I, yeah, I yeah, love yeah. taking GI biopsies. I'm uh, like, Yola you know, likes okay. bring them on. Can you, <laughs> bring them on. Can we talk to to Hills about you coming out and, <laughs> yes. and just sure. relieving? Yes, uh, yes. Look, and I'm not throwing our surgeons on the bus. They are an awesome team, and we're lucky to have them on board. But but yes, there's obviously concerns about safety. There's concerns about yeah. time. There's concerns yeah. about is it does it make a difference? Okay. Yeah. And and I think that we have this. It's not a battle. It's a very healthy discussion. But certainly as an internist, as a gastroenterologist, I feel strongly that I want to be able to procure at least two full thickness biopsies from the duodenum, two from the jejunum, one from the ileum, and I'd like to get some regional lymph That's node right. whenever possible as well. Yep. Now, cats, we haven't mentioned this yet, triditis, Ooh. while they're in there, and this yep. may be one other important benefit of surgery, yeah. is you've got access to the liver. So one could easily collect multiple excisional biopsies from the liver because we need to know whether that cat has cholangitis or lipidosis. Mm. If it has cholangitis, what form is it, etc. And we'd also want to look at that pancreas. Mm. So and biopsy it. And we could definitely biopsy it as well, of course. People are still afraid of biopsying mm -hmm. Mr. Pancreas. Oh, they are but indeed. You can, you can biopsy Mr. Pancreas. You can biopsy as Mr. Pancreas. Be respectful. Be respectful. I love it. You know what? You must be telepathic. Yes. I swear, God. I was going to say, as long as you're respectful and you treat this organ. She is amazing. She's but amazing. also a little scary. No, no, she's know. lovely. Oh, no, 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 she's lovely. This is me in lectures. Oh, no, no, she's lovely. Of Mr. Oh, no, I love that term. Right, but I was going to say, so, so we, at least at UC Davis, um, why is the pancreas male, by the way? Oh, because you have why to be very careful. Pancreas? You have to handle them with care. <laughs> oh, 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 this okay. could be interesting. Yeah. Okay, this yeah. is going to be. Uh, let's. I, yeah, we'll I talk didn't, later. I, I didn't ask I didn't, that question. I didn't even know that we had a gender for the pancreas. <laughs> I do. Indeed. Yeah. All right. Yeah, okay. I'll get into trouble if I say. Okay. Yeah. So, but but you know, our surgeons typically will go ahead and collect uh, two full thickness from duodenum, jejunum, uh, one from the ileum usually, and get us, uh, some lymph node. Yeah. Recognize too that, and this is important for veterinarians out there that if you were to look at the segment of small bowel mm. that is most commonly involved with small cell lymphoma. It mm. is. It is the, the jejunum. jejunum. <laughs> it is the jejunum. And that is important when one is beginning to plan yeah. the potential method of procuring tissue from the bowel. Um, and it's, it's really important to be able to access the jejunum endoscopically mm -hmm. if you're relying upon that particular procedure. Mm -hmm. yeah. so, so, so just to go back to the original question, yes. so you say at least two of the duodenum, then you you can make as many biopsies in the jejunum because it's so big. So two probably is not enough, but two to three, you yes. say. Yes, yes. Ilium, I would, as a surgeon, I would be a little worried about because it's not that big. I mean, yeah. Correct. in a cat, One, it's probably yeah. a couple of centimeters. Correct. If you take three biopsies, it's like a Absolutely whole incisional. Right. No, no, totally. So, so I, that's, I, I that's typically, we typically rely upon one full thickness biopsy from the ileum, recognizing as well that we can certainly see some variability. One thing that I want to preface before I forget is that when these these cats are being assessed for their chronic enteropathies, the assessment of cabalamin status yeah. cannot be overemphasized. Yeah. And we usually have the luxury of getting a B12 back before mm -hmm. we perform biopsies of the gastrointestinal tract, whether it be full thickness or partial thickness. So we can run our B12s in-house. Yeah. And I guess what I'm simply saying is that if a cat is hypocobalaminemic, 
it is pivotal that one does not forget about the importance of collecting tissue samples from the ileum. And Mike Willard eloquently showed um, years ago in the Journal of Veterinary Medicine that it's not uncommon for the ileum to be the segment of bowel that's involved with small cell lymphoma. And in the upper segments of bowel, you've got inflammatory bowel disease, like for example. Yep. So, yep. yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an important part of the bowel that we should yeah. not ignore. I'm glad so you mentioned awesome. that. Yeah. That's awesome. And you haven't answered the partial first of all. Uh, yes. yes. Yeah. Oh, let me do it. Yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. Oh. So, because in my practice, we scope a lot of cats, yes. but we also do a lot of um, X-laps. Yeah. So we do both, and this is an ongoing debate, and you certainly see people who say, oh, they all have to be full thickness, and yeah. you see other people who say, eh. And we so. had this discussion about scoping cats. It is not that difficult. Yeah, Yola and I recently had a discussion because we heard of a, of a colleague who, mm-hmm. who thinks cats are too difficult to scope so they and yeah so you know too bad we don't have some video right now because stan just had really mm-hmm. you had a very similar facial expression i went to me. the ophthalmic yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> now we need no. an the lecture yeah. yeah so but but i think that's unusual so yeah. lots of people like to scope cats mm-hmm. so just so talk a little bit about look that. Uh, here's my concern and my frustration i'm gonna be honest with you Laid there have been several peer-reviewed publications in the veterinary literature that have endorsed the benefits of full thickness biopsies obtained surgically, obviously, Mm -hmm. at the expense of partial thickness via endoscopy that I think have truly done a disservice to our profession, Mm. honestly. They put a bias These are weak studies that have been fundamentally flawed that do not portray the full picture of what we should be really talking about. And I'm concerned that veterinarians who read the literature are looking at this misinformation, which is of uh, great concern to me, as I mentioned before. And speakers talk about it too. It's not just in the literature. Of course, of course. Uh, You know, here's the thing. Um, This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. When you look at lymphoma, it is a a malignancy that begins in the mucosa. And over time, depending on that malignancy, it can ultimately become transmural. When you look at the notion of collecting partial thickness biopsies collected via endoscopy, it should be stressed that one is collecting between 13 to 16 pinch biopsies Mm of the duodenum Mm. and for cats with reasonable skill levels Mm. of the operator and 
an appropriate length endoscope, mm. you should be easily able to access the jejunum, yep. and you should be able to get sufficient samples from that segment of bowel without any problem at all. Mm. That also being said, to access the ileum, one has to go transcolonically. Mm-hmm. And with a bit of practice, you can easily get into the ileum of the cat, and I usually will procure 10 or 12 pinch biopsies from the ileum. Mm. When you look at the collective surface area yeah. of the mucosa that I am getting from the duodenum, where I'm getting on average 10, 12 intestinal villi per mm-hmm. partial thickness biopsy, and you collect those together with my duodenal biopsies, with my ileal biopsies, you can't for a minute mm-hmm. begin to tell me yeah. that you are going to get a greater or wider representation of bowel when you go in surgically. Yeah, that can't. is absolutely yeah. Yeah. nonsense, okay? Yeah. Where you're going to beat me from a surgical standpoint, if you want to play that game, is that you are going to get a full thickness biopsy. And if you talk to pathologists like Peter Moore, who's written the book on intestinal lymphoma in the cat and has done an incredible job and contribution with our knowledge of this disease, he would argue vociferously that partial thickness in the eyes of a competent pathologist with good quality biopsies. Mm. I need to stress that. Mm. Getting Mm. biopsies perpendicular Mm. to the mucosa, not getting villous tips with poor technique is more than adequate and might even be superior in his experience. And again, I think that if you are a veterinarian who is not highly skilled or well-practiced in performing endoscopy and you aren't able to get through the pylorus Hmm. or you get through the pylorus and you're just in a proximal duodenum and you're trying to compare that to a surgeon going in and getting the several sections that we spoke about, obviously that's not a fair comparison. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in the paper that I'm referring to, at least one of them, some of the animals included, they could not get through the pylorus endoscopically. So there you go. So that's a bit of a concern. So to me, it's collective surface area. I want to know what's going on at the mucosal level, and I'm not as interested in knowing is it transmural or not. So if I translate you, yeah. what you probably would do is endoscopy as your first step. Take all those biopsies from you know, the ileum, from the duodenum, probably also from the jejunum. You can look in the stomach and that sort of thing. Yep. If you don't get your answer, then the next step could be that you do a full thickness. Let me take a step back. Not quite not quite um, in that capacity or fashion. Mm. We are very spoiled, and I want to stress that this is not the same as the real world. I typically am able to have a top radiologist boarded with a resident at mm-hmm. his or her side doing abdominal ultrasound within two to three hours of me evaluating that patient. I'm able to get blood work back within several hours of me submitting my CBC and chemistry panel and B12 folate to our lab in hospital. And I'm going to be the first to admit that that gives me a tremendous advantage and benefit because I can look at this patient, not just from its history and physical exam, but its lab work and its imaging findings and say, whoa, this animal should also get Hmm. liver biopsies, okay? Okay. This patient has a weird lesion on its pancreas that I need to further explore or investigate. I'm not going to do endoscopy on that animal. Hell no. It's going to go to surgery, okay? And if we want to get colonic biopsies, I should just stress this as to be complete, we will usually use endoscopy 
to collect partial thickness from the colon sure. and try and minimize the need for getting full thickness sections from the colon, unless yeah. there's a mass, yeah. of course, yeah. that warrants removal. Yeah. So I think that makes sense, right? There's room to evaluate your patient and say some are probably better to Precisely. go to surgery, Precisely. which is essentially what, what we do. So um, the other thing that's popped into my head, because it's a, it's a common problem for me, and I'm, and I'm sure it is for you. Mm. So we've talked about how IBD and lymphoma for some patients might be a continuum. Yes. So, and uh, we will sometimes get histopath reports back where the pathologist <coughs> is unsure. Yep. So, next step, power yeah. testing, immunohistochemistry. Yeah. So, let's talk a little bit yeah, about that. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, I think the, the question surrounding the H&E sections is going to be dependent on which pathologist is assessing or evaluating those tissues, samples, as you know. But, but certainly immunohistochemistry, yeah. with the advent of us being able to stain these lymphocytes with a CD3 marker, for example, and assess if these are all of a T cell, immunophenotype is very readily done and does give you an additional layer of benefit. That being said, with the advent of molecular testing to do PAR or clarity, that does give you another layer of increasing sensitivity. But I want to stress that that PAR testing should never be done in isolation. The PAR testing is a part of a complex puzzle that is being used to help further investigate the likelihood of an H&E section and immunohistochemical stain section being lymphoma, because we can certainly see par-negative mm. lymphomas, mm. especially when you have an early emerging mm. lymphoma in an inflammatory background. Sure. And can you explain to the audience what you mean with PAR testing? Yeah, I mean, essentially, PAR testing that can be done now through different reference labs and through you know, our university and many other universities as well is, is the, the testing, I should stress too, by the way, can be done on formalin fixed Fix sections. Samples, which is nice. So that's beautiful. Yeah. So you've collected your tissue samples for H&E staining, whether they be full thickness or partial thickness, they're in a block, mm -hmm. and you now want to go ahead and do additional testing. You mm -hmm. can basically take sections from that block, send them to a reference lab or to the university where they can go ahead and process those accordingly. And essentially what they're trying to just do is determine whether the cells, the lymphocytes, are of a single clone, which would be more consistent with lymphoma, or are of multiple clones, which is more consistent with inflammation. And so they can look at this, this genotype, essentially, of, of these cells to make that determination. And as I said before, it's not a perfect test. Um, I can say that at least at UC Davis, this is done in triplicate, um, and we have seen early emerging lymphomas that could be missed potentially because you've got this profound inflammatory background and that if you were to wait six months yeah. or longer, it might be more obvious um, with both H&E stain sections or with uh, clarity. So we don't routinely do clarity on all of our biopsies. We do not. And I will say this too, um, that that's probably an important point to, to think about is we've done some work um, at the university with a big reference lab, and colleagues of ours at Texas A&M have also done some beautiful work 
which has not been published, so I want to be careful how much of this I divulge, but what's a little bit concerning is that there's unequivocally a population of cats who either have no clinical background, so these are animals coming in for a routine elective dental procedure. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful animals. Yep. Any weight loss? Nope. Yep. Any vomiting? Heck no. Diarrhea? Beautiful stools. And the animals are being scoped while under anesthesia for their dental procedure yeah. and are then having those tissue sections reviewed histologically with immunochemistry and with PARR or PAR. And there is a subset of cats that are clonal that may not be reflective of the H&E biopsies. And that is a question. Wow. There's several mm. theories as to what that may portray, or may these be very early cases that if you were to follow them out longitudinally, yeah. they may develop because lymphoma. They're clinically normal. They're so clinically normal. Yeah. They're so clinically normal. Yeah. In the work that we've done so far, huh. I'll simply say, you see, Davis, um, it is exceptionally rare, almost unheard of, to have a feline patient with a chronic enteropathy having intestinal lymphoma at an age younger than five years. Yeah, it's a middle-aged cat. That's, that's, that's sort of a yeah. general rule of thumb. Yeah. So if you were yep. to see a cat that's two and a half years of yeah. age with chronic diarrhea, yeah. might it have small cell lymphoma? Of course, it's on the differential list, but is it likely? Heck no. Mm. The cats that we look at and those that have been done by a large reference lab in, in the area have typically been five years of age or older mm. when they were diagnosed. Yep. So this is all, all really cool. I, I think we need to finalize the podcast. Normally we have podcasts oh, of no. about 25 minutes. We and haven't now. been going we, along. We, 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 and we talk about diarrhea. Keep Are you kidding talking me? About, so we probably have to come back uh, to talk about diarrhea. At a, at a pub or something for, like for, that maybe. For, I think so. If, yeah. if you think about yeah. people in practice. Yes. So we have a lot of fans from, for instance, from Brazil. I want to go to Brazil. Well, hey. He is an awesome speaker, oh, so yeah. invite him. We'll make okay. it happen. Okay. We'll yeah, make it happen. Uh, but, yeah. um, so I'm in practice, and I'm, I have a one or two person practice. Yes. What are the essential tests that you would tell them to do with a cat with a chronic enteropathy? It's a great question, especially from a surgeon, I will say. That's a really, really good question. I, I'm know. impressed. No, no, actually. that's a wonderful question. It's a practical I'm, one, it's, it's yes. relevant. Cobellamy. Um, look, and I, still, I tell my students this every day. I mean, the art of the history. And the physical yeah. examination oh, cannot gosh. be ignored. Oh, Stan, and I love you for saying mm -hmm. that. Oh, thank it's, you. you know, it's old school, but it'll, no, it won't change. It, it won't will change. not change. And I, I, like I say, I mean, I'm, I'm in the middle of teaching our GR block now to our junior, third-year vet students. Um, they're awesome too. And yeah, I keep coming back to history, physical exam, history, physical exam. And I tell them, and I will say this to veterinarians in practice, when you leave the examination room, and you've done your due diligence with your history and a physical examination and with experience you can begin to formulate a list of most likely differentials yeah. because you've already created a problem list yeah. from that history and physical exam and you should be able to create your top three or four causes for this particular animal's enteropathy that blood testing and imaging of the abdomen is essentially going to be the icing on the cake to confirm your clinical suspicions. Mm -hmm. Where veterinarians get into trouble is when they haven't got 
a rational approach to these patients with their chronic bowel disease. And when you look at things piecemeal and they don't make sense, you then begin to throw mud against the wall to yep. see what sticks, yep. and that's when you get into trouble. Yep. So you have to have a rational approach whenever you're looking at these animals, and it becomes easier the more you do it and the more you practice it. But I'll simply say this. In a cat with chronic enteropathy, we typically are trying to ask ourselves, does this patient have primary bowel disease or is this enteropathy and the clinical manifestations thereof extra GI? Mm. And again, your likelihood of leaning one way or another depends upon the segment yeah. of that patient, for yeah. example. If I've got a 15-year-old cat with weight loss, polyphagia, intermittent vomiting, and diarrhea, yeah. I am making sure that that cat is not hyperthyroid. Mm. Certainly, we haven't discussed this at all, pancreatic insufficiency oh, is a lot more common yes. than what veterinarians have given that yeah. disease it credit for in the cat. Oh, it's Isn't totally it? out there. And I in fact, I was just you. in Thailand, as I mentioned, in Patai, with Jörg Steiner. Hmm. Um, Jörg Steiner from the GI lab, and he was phenomenal, <laughs> but he was... He they, was they have great data on you know, it. That's the beauty of that yeah. lab. I mean, it literally is, it's a, it's a gold mine for amazing data that... Um, thousands and thousands yeah. and thousands of submissions every year yeah. where they can look at these TLIs and say, holy crap. Wow. And what he eloquently showed in his presentation was that the prevalence of EPI is definitely increased markedly over the Many last years. 15 years yeah. or so. It's huge. So the point I'm trying to make really quickly is this, is, is you've got your history and segment that helps you determine as a primary GI or extra GI. Blood testing and imaging typically with ultrasound mm -hmm. of the abdomen is also helping you to make that prioritization, that separation. Please do cabalamins in all of your feline patients with chronic enteropathy. I love that. Do not forget about the advent of fecal examinations. We tend to spend thousands of dollars on these workups yeah. looking at all of these wonderful diseases, and yet, depending on the animal and its environment, we don't include. Don't forget, the end. Don't forget the end. <laughs> Don't forget the exactly. And so if, <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. I go through records of our database at UC Davis, and they've had CBC, Chem, UA, yeah, yeah. B12 folate, yeah. abdominal ultrasound, yeah. spec FPL, yeah. TLI. Are fecal the done? No. no. Then no. the answer is roundworms. That's yeah. very embarrassing. Yeah. 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 So, anyway, so we're empirically deworming as well is, is another sure. approach. But sure. getting back to your point is this chronic enteropathy database is critically important. A CBC, a chemistry panel, I would say that a urinalysis is one of the most underappreciated and underperformed diagnostic tests yeah. in the veterinary planet. Yeah. And even if not, one's not going to do a full UA. Gets Urine gravity. specific gravity yeah. in a cat that presentation is pivotal, because especially when that BUN comes in at 47 and the creatinine is 2.1, you're saying, ah, is it pre-renal? Is it renal? What is it? That Urine. USG would have been pivotal in that example. B12 folate we spoke about, abdominal ultrasound, fecal uh, flotation, centrifugation flotation as yeah. well. Yeah. A Giardia ELISA test will markedly increase your sensitivity when performed in parallel with the fecal flotation. About 97% in our research published in CATS when you look at an ELISA test done in combination with the centrifugation mm. flotation. And remember, the Giardia is a small bowel pathogen, not a large bowel pathogen. And then we, depending on the patient, segment, severity of clinical signs based upon a disease activity index, could try a dietary trial sure. with or without B12 supplementation if warranted. Sure. And if the dietary trial 
usually in our practice using an elimination diet mm -hmm. containing a novel single protein source or a hydrolysate. And there are some variations too with fiber mm -hmm. coming into play. If that doesn't do the job, then we want to get tissue samples from these patients as well. And we usually will rely upon endoscopy unless there are other reasons that we spoke yeah. about earlier on to get full thickness biopsies uh, intraoperatively or via laparoscopy. That's awesome. Cool. That's awesome. I think yeah. uh, this was a great, great podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much. No, you're more than welcome. For being with us, and and you know, we almost have to stop you. Talking. Oh my God! Wait, but oh, next time, I, I think we've got multiple. I think that here. next time, what we're going to do um, at a wonderful restaurant in yes. Rio de Janeiro. Yes. I can see this happening right now in my crystal ball. I like your because we haven't discussed nutrition per ah. se, and of equal importance, we didn't discuss the management of the cat with small cell lymphoma. Indeed, no, the different protocols, the yes. controversies, okay. the rescue drugs, we have and outcomes. So many so more podcasts coming. Absolutely. So uh, thank you very much, Stan, yes. for being oh, no. here. This thank is fantastic. You. What a great opportunity and an ingenious <laughs> idea. Yeah. Ingenious. Thank you. Thank you. And we he didn't try. say the D word. I know. I have I one disappointment. So I have one disappointment no, because when pe if people say the D word, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. then they have to buy us a glass of wine. And Stan, you're a disappointment. You never yes. said the yeah, D exactly. word. I was told not to say the word, <laughs> and I did my best to heed your advice. It was very easy. Excellent. Well done. Excellent. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, so you guys. I really had a lot of fun. Take care. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page, at perpodcast. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs, and you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatVetSusan. Dr. Yola Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVE. TSX. 